What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. Welcome back, podcast fam. So happy to be back in your earbuds and bringing you Nina Mandelson. Nina is a body peace coach. She helps women end the war with food and body and finally feel truly at home in their body as it is. She brings her 30 years experience as a therapist, body trust guide, and psychology of eating teacher to helping women create a positive relationship with their food and body. Nina's work and body poems all are in service of helping women get off the diet roller coaster and into a compassionate and powerful way of eating and living, which creates deep, long lasting change in and with their bodies. I had a really great, deep conversation with Nina on this episode, and I'm really excited to bring it to you. She has a wonderful, compassionate approach to her work, and it really helps us unlearn a lot of what we have learned throughout the years that society has taught us, our circles of friends and family have taught us, and mostly just ideas and thought patterns that don't serve us, and how we can start to pivot and switch those to be more compassionate to ourselves and our bodies. Really wonderful episode with Nina. Here we go. Okay, I'm so excited to have Nina Mandelson with me today. I reached out to her, loved her work, and really was excited to share all of her insights. I'm excited to dive in, and we even have a special little treat near the end, too. So thank you so much for being on, Nina. Oh, totally my pleasure, Claudia. All right, so we're just going to dive right into what I ask everybody at the beginning, which is what does true wellness mean to you? Mm, I love that. So for me, there's a saying in French that I grew up with, which is je me sens bien dans ma peau. And it means I feel good in my skin. And to me, that is the epitome of true wellness. I feel good in my skin. I feel whatever that goodness is, right? It's different for people. But for me, it's I feel agile. I feel energetic. I feel calm. My nervous system isn't wired. I'm not tired. I feel engaged with life, right? I feel like I get to do the things that make me light up from the inside. I get to experience pleasure. I get to engage in relationships that I love with other people, with places, with myself, right? It's such a wide wonderful question, but it really gets boiled down to that je me sens bien dans ma peau, which is I feel good in my skin. And it's not something I grew up feeling. Mm, I love that. I think you're the first one to use another language. And that was so beautiful. So I love that we kicked off the 
the alternative language with French. And I'm hopeful that others will be inspired to share as well, because it's just so beautiful when you said that. And then it's also beautiful in the translation. And I also know that sometimes the translation isn't exact, but it sounded beautiful both ways. And so I I love that insight. Thank you so much for that. All right, let's learn about Nina. Let's learn a little bit about what sort of life events led you to the work that you do today. Yeah, so the work that I do is I work with women in terms of healing their relationship with their food and body. So the work that I do is body peace. And I came to it because that was not my experience by any stretch of the imagination, right? I grew up feeling bad about my body. I grew up feeling like I was comparing myself to other girls. I grew up going on my first diet when I was nine years old. There was always this feeling like I should be taller and thinner and blonder. And I am none of the above. I am not a tall person. I am not a blonde person. And I've never been particularly a petite human being either, right? So I have curves and there was, it was never okay to be who I was. So I was perpetually on the next diet trying to manage, trying to change, trying to make my body something that it wasn't. And, you know, I did all the diets. I dieted for more years than I even cared to share, you know, all of them, you know, the Weight Watchers, the before it was keto, there was Atkins and Scarsdale and all the versions of all of those diets, fasting, cleanses, And it was always from this place of what I call management and trying to control. And I hear that so much from women, that idea that I want to be in control. I just want to feel in control of my body. And it sets up a relationship that just doesn't feel very good. No one likes to feel controlled, right? We push back against somebody trying to manage or control us. And so the work that I do around body peace comes from this place of how do we have a different relationship that feels fun, that feels good, that feels pleasurable, that feels trusting, that feels connected and authentic. Mm, I love that you come from such an authentic place that this is, you know, was your reality and you wanted something different for yourself and for others. And I love the work that you do. I would love to know your thoughts on why you believe so many of us are at war with our bodies. You know, when you paint the opposite picture, it sounds so beautiful. And it's like, why are we not in that place? Why are we at war? So I'm just curious as to your insights into that. I love how you said that, Claudia. Why are we at war? Like, it's such a great, like, nobody said it to me in exactly that way. Like, why exactly are we just hating on our body and comparing our bodies and warring against our bodies, right? When you say it like that, I'm like, really? Why? But I know exactly why. So the biggest reason is we have a diet culture. And it's literally like the air we breathe, the water we swim in, it's all around us, all these messages of what a woman's body should look like, what size we should be, what fitness looks like. And that diet industry is a 72 billion, with a B, $72 billion industry, right? So there's a lot of money to be made on us feeling like we're not okay. 
Because if the diet culture continues to tell us you're not okay, they can sell us something to make us feel okay. So it's, there's actually fuel for the war, right? The diet culture is fueling here. If you buy this and lose seven pounds in seven days, you will be better. They're fueling the war with your body, right? That you shouldn't be happy with yourself unless you are slimmer, right? So part of it is this huge industry, but we also have a really fat phobic uh, culture that vilifies people who live in larger bodies, right? Who our society actually treats people who live in larger bodies worse, right? There's something called thin privilege, which is when we're in a smaller body, we get treated better. We get to buy an airline ticket, not worry that we're gonna fit into it. We get to walk into most stores and buy clothing that fits us, right? There's not this sort of penalty or shame for the size of our body. And so that cultural um, climate, our cultural climate makes it inhospitable for us to just be in a body and be okay with that. It's saying, no, no, if you want power and privilege and want to be seen as attractive, then you need to fit into this mold. And so because there's such this cultural ideal, we go, oh, it's not the society that's faulty. It must be me, it must be my body. So let me do something about my body. Let me change my body. And we wage war on ourselves. Mm, there's so much just to unpack there. And it's so true in so many facets of our life where, you know, I talk a lot about surrender and just acceptance. And the reality is, and I say that often in my circles of friends is there's no, the reason that nobody's talking about just acceptance of what is, is because there's no money to be made in acceptance. There's money to be made in yes. changing who we are constantly. And so I love that you talk about the culture and how this is so ingrained and becomes part of our reality, but it's, it's imposed by the cultural shifts. It's self-imposed often too, and we can shift that. And that's why I love the work that you do, because it's not something that has to remain status quo. And it's something largely in our control, but it does require a little swimming upstream. You know, it's not maybe the default. So yes, um, I so love that you're saying that swimming upstream. It is, it's countercultural. It's actually really feminist ideology. It's really, it's body liberation, right? If you think about it from this perspective of like, we've been at war with our body and we're imprisoned by this box, this is what's acceptable. And we wanna liberate ourselves, we wanna feel free because so much of our energy is caught in this like, oh my gosh, what did I eat? Should I have eaten it? Maybe I should go on the diet tomorrow. Oh, I can't believe I couldn't stay on that diet. That's a huge amount of energy and time wasted. Mm -hmm. So if we can liberate from that ourselves from that, it's very powerful, but it takes work. It's not a seven day diet, right? It takes actually unlearning and, and pushing back against a culture that doesn't serve us in terms of us doing what we're supposed to do here in the world. 
Mm, it reminds me of something I read recently and I can't even give any due credit because I don't remember, but it was the concept of switching from self-improvement to self-liberation. And, and, and it was like, you know, you just have one of those aha moments when you read something and it was just rang so true because we do get so eternally caught up in self-improvement. Like we're never good enough. We're always having to improve where it's like, oh, what if we just started to liberate ourselves from all of that? So anyways, that went mm, so in line with absolutely. that, that I wanted to, to share that. Okay. Let's yeah. talk about how this sense of war kind of results in self-sabotaging behavior. So what are you seeing? Well, what did you see kind of, you know, as you reflected back on your own, you know, youth and childhood and, and how you experience this, but then also with the clients that you work with, what are, you know, what are the, some of the things they're saying to themselves? What are the, some of the self-sabotaging behaviors that come as a result of buying into this culture? Right. So it, what you're talking really is what's the cost, right? What's the cost of being in this diet culture? And the place that I see it is I call it the pit of shame, right? Well, it's like, oh, I'm trying to be in self-improvement. I love how you said that, right? Like I'm trying to improve myself. So implicit in that statement is I'm not good enough as I am. I need improving. Now, do we want to change? Do we want to evolve? Do we want to like learn new things and experiment? A hundred percent, right? That's who we are as humans. We are evolving creatures. That's different from there's something wrong with me and I want to fix it right? I need improving because there's something faulty. So to be in this place of there's something faulty, it costs, it's, it's pricey because what it does is it disempowers. So it sabotages everything. So when I talk to women about what it feels like to be in a bad relationship, just not even with their body, just a bad relationship, a relationship that feels controlling or untrustworthy or where they don't feel like they're seen or validated. And I say, well, what does it feel like to be in that kind of crummy relationship? They're like, it feels energetically draining. It feels like I'm not able to go and be my full self and have all my energy to myself, I feel like I'm always like leaking energy. Like I'm trying to drive this really fabulous car that is me and I have a leak in my gas tank. And so it's always feeling like there's something not accessible to self, right? To be proactive and engaged in life. So what the cost of being in this diet culture is exactly the same, is we're caught up in the like, oh, I feel bad about myself. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, I don't like what I see in the mirror. Oh, I'm tugging on my shirt to hide my belly. I'm hiding in the back of the picture because I don't want to be seen, right? So it diminishes us. So that's one of the costs. And the other way that it sabotages us is it interrupts the authentic relationship that we have with our body, right? It interrupts us being able to say, hey body, what do you feel like you need today? The body may say, you know what? I'm really tired. I need, I don't know, more protein. I need more hydration, right? Another day may say, you know what? I just, yesterday was a big protein day. I need a little more veggies. 
when we're always in diet culture with this is the right thing to eat and that is the right thing to eat, we stop listening. We stop knowing how to listen to the true wisdom of our body, right? There's a client that I'm working with and we were talking about um, not dieting again. And she said, I don't know if I even know how to choose what I want anymore. I've dieted for so many years. So then we worked with that a little bit. And then she said, but then how do I do portion control? <laughs> and I was like, well, just listen to those words, right? I have to control how much I eat versus I get to trust that I can hear my hunger, fullness, satiety, and I can respond to them appropriately. So the diet culture interrupts our authentic trusting relationship with our body. There's so many great things in there. Um, I love the concept of interrupting the authentic relationship we have with our bodies. Uh, I think there's, I mean, just each one of those words could really be picked apart and, and really gone deeper. But I think that we forget that we even have a relationship. And so um, to even interrupt it wouldn't even make sense if we forget that that relationship even exists. And then I, I love the sort of picking apart the words that we use because we get conditioned to just use words. I mean, this is, you know, just the reality of our culture. And we often say portion control. And I love the sort of diving deeper into that control versus trust. And, um, we, you know, I think we forget that our bodies are our messengers and they are talking to us and we can have that intimate relationship with them and trust in that. But instead we're in constant control mode and we speak those words without even knowing it. I mean, even when you said portion control before you pointed out the control versus trust, I didn't even make that connection. So I, it just becomes so common in our language that we forget what we're telling ourselves. How those words um, impact the relationship, they, the words of control and the words of management interrupt, as you said, the relationship. And I just want to go back to that because it's so important. We are having a relationship with our body. In fact, it is the longest relationship we will have in our entire life. We are born into this body and we will die in this body. This is a primary relationship that impacts every other relationship in our lives, right? When I teach, I often ask women, so when we're feeling good about our body, what do you notice? Women say, I feel confident. I feel more energetic. I feel more engaged with people. I feel more social. I feel more sexual. I feel more sensual. I feel more alive, right? And then I say, when you don't feel good in your own skin, right? When you don't feel good in your body, what do you feel? And women say, I feel shut down. I feel withdrawn. I feel smaller energetically. I feel like I'm being judged by myself, by, the, by other people, right? And so, yes, how we feel in this relationship impacts every other aspect of our life. And so to come down to the very essence of this work is to come down to we are in a relationship with our body and we get to first notice how's this relationship going, right? Just like you were sitting in a therapist's office with a partner. So how's the relationship going? Are you guys getting along, right? And to be able to first go, wait, how is this relationship? And is this the kind of relationship I want to be in 
in the most important relationship of my life, the relationship that informs and impacts every other relationship. And we have an opportunity to shift that relationship if it's not a relationship that we're loving, if it doesn't feel like a fun relationship, right? I had a client once who said when we started really unpacking her relationship with her body, she said, oh my goodness, I have been in an abusive relationship my whole life. And I don't want to do that anymore. It feels terrible, right? We don't have to be in that, right? We can create body peace. We can start to trust our body. We can start to have good conversations with ourselves. We can make a positive relationship. Mm, that's really pretty deep thinking about the ways in which we have and you know, approach our relationship with our bodies as potentially abusive. I think many of us who maybe have not necessarily been in an actual abusive relationship with another person would have a hard time admitting that, have a hard, well, even those maybe who were in an abusive relationship and have a hard time even identifying or validating that would have a hard time saying, I am abusive to myself. Like just those words seem so much more exaggerated than we like to believe. But the reality is if we were to speak out the words that we are internalizing, they would sound very abusive. And we don't, I don't even think realize that. I don't think that I ever thought about that really till you just said that. So that's really a great segue into what I wanted to ask next, which is we often use the language, which, you know, can, can also feel abusive too, that we feel fat and, um, you know, I know that I've said those words, again, just conditioning. We, we, we speak the language that we are around and often we are around others who are speaking that language or we're, mm-hmm. you know, hearing it on the news or, you know, whatever. And I, I know I've said those words without even a second thought. Um, I want to just kind of read what you have written in a blog about this. I think you lay it out in a very thought provoking way and saying fat is not a feeling. Fat is a size. It's a descriptor. Mm-hmm. Feeling fat is a placeholder. It's a placeholder for so many feelings that don't have words, feelings that don't have permission to be felt, feelings that don't know how to go out. So they just turn back on me and attack my self-worth. Can you expand on this a bit and yes. um, how this sort of shows up in a, in a you know, you know, larger way with the clients that you work with? Yeah, absolutely. So One thing I want to just, I want to get into this idea of fat, but I also want to get into something you said as well, which is name calling. So one powerful, like just first awareness step is to watch what you say to yourself, right? We do a lot of name calling. I hear women say things to their body in my practice that we would never say to anyone else, right? And so women are real, can be really, really cruel, really cruel to themselves in a way that they absolutely would not treat anyone else. And one of these sort of so-called, and I'm putting this in air quotes, insults that we throw at ourselves is feeling fat, right? And the reality is, is fat has gotten this like been maligned in our culture, right? As though it's a terrible thing to be, to live in a large body right? We talk about being overweight. Over what weight? Who gets to decide, right? The BMI charts, which are based in 
like there's been so much evidence that's disproved the validity of BMI and how it's changed because the country wanted to wage a war on obesity because that made money for people. Like it's fraught with issues and problems. So to reclaim that word out of the insult bin, right? To really look at what is fat. So um, the best way that I can expand on what you just wrote, because what, what you just read, what you just read was a piece of a body poem that I wrote. And one of the things that I do is I write body piece poems, body poems that are really about our relationship with our body. And the reason I do it partly is to work out my issues, right? The, my history and my relationship with food and body, and also to give a different language to this relationship with our body. We have a lot of like relationship language or how to speak to teens or how to speak to children, but we have never ever been taught how to talk to our own body, right? So part of my um, mission, part of my passion is to write these poems that help us find language to explore this relationship. So one of the poems that I have is I feel fat. And if you're okay with it, I would love to read it. Yes, please. I would love that. Okay. So it's called I feel fat. And just to preface it is I would, I used to say it all the time. I would say it all the time. And I was in therapy as a young person. And then I became a therapist and did tons of therapy. So I would, so that this is the context for that, this poem. So it's called I feel fat. Sitting in my therapist's too soft sofa, I'd exclaim with deep despair, I feel fat. And patiently week after week, she'd say, if you weren't feeling fat, what would you be feeling? It took me months to understand the question. What do you mean if I wasn't feeling fat? I do feel fat. I feel unacceptable. I should do something about the number on the scale. I should fix my non-perfect body. No, really, this is all about my size. I believed it until I didn't, until the cultural brainwashing started to thaw. Fat is not a feeling. Fat is a size, it's a descriptor. Feeling fat is a placeholder. It's a placeholder for so many feelings that don't have words, feelings that don't have permission to be felt, feelings that don't know how to go out. So they just turn back on me and attack my self-worth. I decoded feeling fat. It means I feel sad, mad, disappointed, angry, overwhelmed, confused, uncomfortable, jealous, and every other feeling. And sometimes it was easier to feel fat. It's familiar. It's the known pain instead of the terror of the deeper feeling underneath the fat. But here's the secret. That deeper feeling has wisdom. It doesn't tear you to shreds. It doesn't disown your body. It invites you home. It invites you to your knowing, to your innate wisdom. So my question to you is, if you weren't feeling fat, what would you be feeling? Mm, that is so beautiful. I'm so happy that we have that recorded with your voice because although the words on paper are beautiful as well, 
I think you reading that is so powerful. And I'm so happy that this will be on the interwebs for people to replay that Mm -hmm. as they need it. Because I mean, what a powerful question. I don't even know that I would know how to answer that. I think you helping us through with that eloquent language helps us to understand, oh yeah, there, there is something deeper there. And we, and the, the point of it being easier and more familiar is also very powerful to realize because it's a ubiquitous statement. I mean, like everybody's saying we all, right. We feel fat. Oh, I ate too much. I feel fat. And it just becomes, you know, one of the many statements we say in a day multiple times, and it is very easy and familiar, but we don't ever take the time to dive deeper into that. And what, you know, the question of what would we be feeling if we weren't feeling fat is so deep. I mean, we literally could meditate on that for, you know, a lengthy time and then journal because we never give ourselves the space to even think through that. You know, we just say it and move on with our day and have no reflection back on how that impacts us. So really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, you're so welcome. And one of the analogies that I often share with my clients and, and my classes is this idea of when we say I feel fat or when we hurl an insult at ourselves is almost imagine it like a like a red like warning light on your dashboard. There's something going on deeper. We don't know what, right? And sometimes like on my car, sometimes it's gas. Oh, I know what it, I need gas. And sometimes it's just like that light that says service. I'm like, oh, oh, there's something else going on. I wonder what's going on here, right? We get curious. And if those placeholders, I feel fat, I should go on a diet. Um, I shouldn't have eaten that, right? If all those default self-shaming statements were warning lights, the, it's, it's, the next step for us is to get curious. What's in there? What is it telling me? My body is saying, I have an emotion. I have a feeling there's something more going on. And our culture says, just focus on the body focus on getting smaller. But really, we have a lot of wisdom inside of us. And if we can shift this idea of, I just need to fix my body to I want to be in relationship. And I actually want to learn because my unwanted eating behaviors, my body shame, it's a doorway into a deeper, richer relationship with myself and more learning and understanding, right? So there's, there's, it's a weird thing to say, but there's gold in our food and body issues. There really is. There's a lot to be learned. It's a very juicy and rich and life-giving and affirming process to reclaim the relationship with our body, to be one that feels positive, caring, authentic, uh, nourishing, trusting, feels good. Hmm. Perfect way to sort of segue into what I, what I wanted to ask before we start wrapping up, which is we've talked a little bit about and laid out a descriptor of what it looks like to have an unhealthy relationship, which I would argue most of us are probably either in that most of the time or, or have at least experienced times when we've had unhealthy relationships with our bodies. What does it look like? So now that you have done the work for yourself and you are helping others, do the same? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What is it like to have a healthy relationship with our body? Because I think that may be a picture that many of us don't even know what Mm. that looks like. 
Mm, Claudia, I love that you ask that. So what does it look like? It looks like getting dressed in the morning and not feeling bad about ourselves. It looks like sitting, opening the fridge and asking yourself, what do I feel like eating? Trusting that that's, that's okay. And, tr and, and knowing that what you feel like eating does not define who you are or if you're a good or bad person. That your food choices are not a moral issue right? That your body is not, does not make you a good or bad person. It's not a moral issue, right? When I was first starting this work for myself in my twenties, I remember I said to somebody who was supporting me, oh my God, I ate a muffin. I lived in New York city at the time. And it was a Waverly square muffin. Like, you know, they were like giant and they would cut them in half and grill them. And I was like, I ate a muffin. And she was like, okay, and I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm a bad person because I ate this muffin. She was like, Mina, what's in a muffin? I was like, I don't know, eggs, flour, sugar, baking powder. She was like, so do those ingredients make you a bad human being? And I was like, oh, right? Like suddenly a muffin had the power to morally judge me. And so I was morally judging myself, right? So a good relationship is, you know what? So I ate a muffin, moving on. And a good relationship with our body is, I want the best for you, body. I'm an ally, I'm not your enemy. We talk nicely, we're partnered, we're connected, we're in this together, right? I wanna support you, right? And a good relationship with our body is not about being perfect. It's about being real. It's about deeply listening. It's about honoring. It's about caring. It's about being considerate. And it feels good. It just plain feels good. It's also a good relationship is we stop obsessing. All that brain space and energy is freed up to do the things that we are passionate and love in life instead of worrying about what I just ate. That's definitely a relationship I want to be in. So thank you for painting that beautiful picture. <laughs> and it actually made me immediately go back to the beginning of this conversation when you spoke those beautiful words in French. And it makes me think of how what you just painted and the language that you just used, which is not language I think many of us know how to use. We haven't, that hasn't been modeled for us. Uh, it's like learning a new language. I feel like that's, it, it brings me right back to you using the, you know, the French words and speaking so eloquently what wellness means to you. And now tying this into the end, which is we have to learn a new language. We have to unlearn the language that hasn't been serving us and learn a new language that will serve us and that is intended for us. And it's so much more beautiful. And so I appreciate you sharing what that could look like and does look like and how the transformations that you help others have and achieve can get us to that place. So it's possible and doable, which I think is so important too. As we, so um, yeah, as we wrap up, I don't want to leave out the information for people to be able to find you. So if somebody's listening and they want to learn more, maybe read more of your beautiful poems uh, or possibly even work with you, where would they go to do that? So the best place is my website, which is ninamanelson.com. And if, or if you just want to reach out, you can email me nina at ninamanelson.com. Um, but on my website, you'll find some cool free stuff. There's a great book, How to Be a Woman at Peace in Your Body. Um, there's videos. 
I do classes, work with people individually. Um, there's a lot of ways to engage in this work at whatever level you're ready for. Because like Claudia, as you said, we deserve to have this relationship, right? We get to feel good in our own body. It doesn't have to be a continued war. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love all of these amazing insights and just shifting our language and just taking baby steps. I think a lot of this can feel overwhelming for somebody as would learning a new language would be, especially, you know, at our age, we're not really at the point where we're, we're soaking it up like a sponge, like our, our kids, but it's possible. And I think that's the message that I want to leave with the listeners is that it doesn't have to become status quo is your only way and you can't learn this new language. You absolutely can. And I think that the way that you have laid this out inspires and encourages others to know that they can. So thank you so much for this beautiful conversation, Nina. Mm, Claudia, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much to Nina for this beautiful conversation. I would love to leave you with a parting thought in French, but I don't speak that language and I'm not sure I would give it any due justice if I attempted, but I would just like to share that I have been practicing this in my own life since we recorded this, that I am aware of ways in which I am abusing really unintentionally but abusing my own body by the things that I say internally and I am noticing it more and in response I am shifting my language and so it's doable the first step is acknowledging that we're doing this and knowing that a beautiful relationship can be formed and nurtured thank you again for listening I highly encourage you to follow Nina's work I will have all of the links in the show notes and if you would like to work with me you can go to peaceadvocacygroup.com and learn all about the work that I do with my clients in the health and wellness space. I look forward to seeing you here again next time.